And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Leslie Salmon, licensed mental health and drug and alcohol counselor who has had a near-death experience and out-of-body experiences. Leslie, thank you for joining us today and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here and it's so nice to meet you. Likewise. And Leslie, if you don't mind, let's maybe go in chronological order and start with your first out-of-body experience. Okay. Um, There's a little backup story to this. Um, And it starts back when I'm like 9, 10, and 11 11 years old. Um, I had an anxiety disorder and I didn't know it. And I would get panic attacks that included physical symptoms. And these physical symptoms would sometimes seize up my chest and I would have pains in my chest. I would not be able to breathe. Um, Then I would get very scared that I was gonna die. So I'm, you know, 10, 11 year old girl thinking she's having a heart attack. So uh, I complained to my parents about the chest pains and the inability to breathe and how scary that was for me. And um, they took me to see a doctor and I had blood work done. I had an EKG, I had x-rays. There was a lot of discussion. Um, And the doctor just looked at my parents and said, there is nothing physically wrong with her, any part of her chest. Um, There's no reason why she can't breathe. There's no reason why um, she should be afraid. Uh, We think this is anxiety. We think this is panic. And um, my parents just took a sigh of relief. Oh, well, thank God, nothing's wrong with her. And I took a sigh of relief. Oh, there's nothing wrong with my body, thank goodness. And we all went home and uh, there was some discussion of, well, you know, what's making you anxious and nervous? And, you know, I'm just a kid. I'm not, I'm not really aware. And I, I thought maybe some of my peers at school were making me anxious and nervous, but I lacked insight as a child um, into the fact that there was a lot of stress and tension in my parents' marriage. There was a lot of stress and tension in our home I was picking up on all of that. I was just a little child and, and, and didn't know how to process that. And um, even though I knew that I was not having um, a heart attack, <laughs> even though I knew that what was uh, creating my pain and inability to breathe uh, was simply uh, anxiety, th- that didn't make it go away. And uh, my parents did not take me to see a counselor or a psychologist or psychiatrist. Uh, This was like in 1975. People didn't do that. And there weren't those kind of specialists in in the area where I lived in Northern Michigan anyway. Um, So I just suffered with this. Uh, One day though, my sixth grade teacher uh, taught my class how to do meditation. Um, 
I'm not sure what her motivation was. I don't know why she thought as a sixth grade teacher, she should teach us how to meditate. Um, I think the conversation was something like, kids don't do drugs. If you're stressed out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you a way to meditate and become calm and, um, and not have to turn to drugs and alcohol. I think that discussion took place, but she started with like a body scan kind of centering. And she taught us how to do it. And I took to it. I needed that. I loved that. And I learned if I would do that, I could bring myself out of anxiety and out of panic. Um, she also taught us breath work. So I learned how to breathe. Of course, there are times when you can't lay down and meditate. So um, I would use breathing techniques to calm myself down. I had this tool in my toolbox now to help me cope with anxiety and panic. And uh, I took that tool of meditation and breathing with me into high school. It helped me get through all the difficult high school situations I got myself into. Um, but one day, oh, let, let me say that, that having those anxiety and panic attacks also created in me uh, a fear of death. Because if you can't breathe and your chest seizes up, you're gonna die. So I was very, very fearful of death and what happens when you die. My family didn't have a particular religion. Um, I didn't have um, a particular belief in heaven uh, due to the way I was raised uh, without a particular um, religion. Um, so I, I had this great fear of death. But one day I went to my uh, grandma's house she had a Reader's Digest magazine on her coffee table. I picked it up and I flipped through it and I found an article on Raymond Moody. <laughs> and I found a review of his book called Life After Life. I read that article and I thought, I've got to get this book. Okay, I was just a teenager, maybe 14, 15, but I had a fear of death mm. at that age because mm. of the panic attacks. The panic right. attacks made me feel like I was gonna die. So anyway, um, I've learned how to control the panic attacks. I've learned how to control my fear of death because of Raymond Moody's book. And I had those two, two tools in my toolbox as I went off to college. I knew how to manage my panic and I wasn't, I wasn't so afraid of death anymore. So I go off to college and um, I go to a college in my home state. I meet a man who is a senior there and uh, he becomes my boyfriend. Well, when he graduates, he gets accepted into Notre Dame Law School in Indiana. I was in Michigan. Um, he was going to move to Indiana to go to law school. Well, I decided I wanted to go with him. 
So I transferred to a college in Indiana. There was no way I could get into Notre Dame, but I got into a college right across the street from Notre Dame called St. Mary's College. It was an all-woman's Catholic college. Uh, shortly after I got there, I broke up with that young man. Um, but the college, uh, it was a very good college. I was a psychology major and um, it, I was introduced to the Catholic faith there. Um, so uh, one of the things about being Catholic that I, that I picked up on was uh, there's this thing called sin. And um, people are selfish and people make mistakes and people hurt other people and um, people do the wrong things. And I guess with my tendency towards anxiety and panic, I started dwelling on that. Now I met a Catholic boyfriend uh, who I later married and he did try to mentor me as as a Catholic, and um, he was a good influence on me in that way. But um, because of my anxious nature, I kept dwelling on my sins. I was ruminating on my sins, on, on my selfishness. Um, any, anyway, one day I, I just became very overwhelmed with uh, <clears throat> my own sinful nature. I, I hadn't converted to Catholicism at that time, but um, I, was, I was becoming depressed, ruminating on sin and, uh, and guilt. I had that Catholic guilt that everybody, that all the Catholics talk about, uh, that I was completely unfamiliar with. Well, uh, one day I just <clears throat> felt so depressed and so overwhelmed that I decided I would take a nap. And when I woke up from the nap, um, I, I wasn't happy to be awake. I didn't feel refreshed. I still had the guilt and rumination about sin and wrongdoing. And uh, that was still with me. And I, I didn't want to be awake. And I thought, gosh, if you don't want to be awake, if you're disappointed that you're awake, the next step is probably you don't even want to live. And then I started getting anxious. Oh my goodness, am I suicidal? You know, this, this is getting out of hand. So I decided I'm going to go back to meditation. The meditation I learned in the sixth grade. So I lay down on my bed and I did the body scan and the centering meditation and I was able to calm down. I was able to relax and I was able to get my body to, uh, to feel some relief. Um, but then I, I didn't think that was enough. Something in the back of my mind was saying, this is not enough. You should pray. So I started praying. I'm in this very relaxed state. And then I started praying about um, asking God to forgive me, um, asking him to guide me, 
telling him I didn't want to be anxious and depressed, telling him I didn't want to be ruminating over guilt. Um, and then my body started vibrating. I, I felt a vibration that got stronger and stronger over time. And it wasn't uncomfortable, but it was intense. It grew intense. Now, mind you, uh, it wasn't uncomfortable. It felt kind of like getting a massage. Um, it was a nice sensation, but a new sensation that I had never felt before. And I vibrated right out of my body. And I vibrated into a tunnel. And I, I kept this vibration up and I kept traveling up this tunnel. And I was aware that there was somebody to my right. Somebody was next to me as I'm going up through this tunnel. And I was very relaxed. I was very much at peace. I was okay, there was no depression, there was no anxiety, there was no panic. And I, I get about halfway up the tunnel and I stop. Somebody, something stops me and I know, I know somebody's with me, somebody's guiding me, but I'm, I'm not looking at them. Um, but I see a light at the top of the tunnel and I just, I look up to the light, I'm drawn to it. There's there's nothing I can do but be drawn to this light. And this light was golden, white, and warm, and full of love. And it, the light was intense, but gentle, and it surrounded me. It enveloped me. It went through me. And it was all about love. And it was all about compassion and forgiveness and healing. And it was incredible. I've never felt anything like it. So um, I, I just stayed there basking in the healing and in the love and in the light. I don't know how long. And then eventually the light spoke to me telepathically. And it had a masculine, paternal, caring vibe. And it said, it said to me, remember the center of things. Remember what controls things. And I was surprised that the light was speaking to me and I didn't really understand what the light was saying. Um, remember the center of things. Obviously that light is the center of things. Remember what controls things? That confused me because I thought I'm in control of things. I'm in control of my life. That, that confused me. Um, 
And then I started looking around and I recognized where I was from reading Raymond Moody, Raymond Moody's book, um, Life After Life. I'm in the tunnel. There is the light. And for a millisecond, I'm scared. Oh my gosh, I'm dead. I think I'm dead. This is what this is what I know about from Raymond Moody's book. I'm in the tunnel. I'm dead. But I didn't get to feel that discomfort very long because just like that, um, I was back in my body. And uh, got out of bed, went to the phone. Back in those days, the phone was on the wall, called my boyfriend and told him what happened. And uh, he listened and uh, he believed me. He believed that that happened and that really helped. Do you feel like that light is or was God? I knew it was God. I knew it. Did you know it at the time that it happened? Yes. As soon as I saw the light, I knew it was God. And I knew that kind of love could only come from God. That kind of love and compassion could only come from God. You mentioned that there was possibly a being on your right side. Do you know anything more about that being? It took me many, many, many years to figure out who that being was. And I actually um, believe he is my guardian angel. And I, I actually got to see him in a dream that I had about a year ago. So um, at that point, though, I, I wasn't permitted to turn and look at him. I didn't really care about him so much because I have God in front of me. Do you feel like that experience was dreamlike or do you feel like it was, you know, just as real as you and I talking now? It was very real for me. Um, yet it was unreal. I mean, cause that wasn't of this world. Um, but it was, it was extremely real. Once you came back, how did that change you? It, it changed me because um, I knew God was real. I knew God loved me. I knew God had endless compassion. And I was not going to ruminate on guilt, selfishness, sin anymore. I wasn't going to ruminate on that and, and be anxious about that. And um, I never had a depression like that ever again. The kind where I want to go to sleep and not wake up. So it changed me that way. Um, and it took away any fear of death. What a gift that is to be 20 years old. And then I get to spend the rest of my life not fearing death. Do you feel that you had this experience spontaneously or do you think your guardian angel caused this to happen to help you? That's a really good question that I've never thought of before. And um, you ask your guests great questions like that oh, that you. they've <laughs> never thought of before. And I think that's really wonderful. Um, I've always thought that it happened spontaneously, but um, hey, it, it could be that my guardian angel helped me pull that all together so that I could have that 
experience. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the next day I went to see a Catholic priest. You know, I lived in a dorm that had a chapel and, and there was a priest there who had an office. I went to see him to tell him about the experience. And the first thing he said was, were you on drugs? Mm. No, I was not on drugs. Were you drinking? I was not drinking. Do you have a mental health problem? Well, yeah, I've been feeling kind of depressed, but I don't think so depressed that I would have a break with reality. Um, he didn't really have much to offer me. Um, I was disappointed about that, but I also understood from reading Raymond Moody's book that a lot of clergy back then, especially, didn't know how to handle um, somebody sharing those experiences with them. Do you find that having Raymond Moody's book in your life is just a coincidence or possibly it was meant to be? It's interesting that you should bring that up because I just watched one of your podcasts um, about coincidences. Uh, I loved it. And I, I think it was a miracle for me that, that I happened to pick up a Reader's Digest that was reviewing that book and that I had the ability to go to the bookstore and buy that book. Uh, that was all a miracle. All right. So let's move forward in time to your near-death experience. Sure. So um, don't want to disappoint anybody, but my near-death experience is uh, not as exciting as most that you have on your show. Um, my near-death experience started when um, I was 23 years old and I was in labor with my daughter. My daughter is now 35. Um, when I went into labor and when my husband was driving me to the hospital, I kept noticing, it was about a 45 minute drive to the hospital, what a beautiful day it was outside. Now this was in Michigan, it was in April, and sometimes April is still kind of cold and snowy and dreary, um, but this was the most gorgeous, beautiful, sunshiny, wonderful day. And I was in a great deal of pain as we were driving to the hospital. Um, but I kept saying to myself, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful, look at this beautiful day. He didn't seem to notice it. So um, we get to the hospital and uh, I had a normal labor and delivery and I delivered a perfectly healthy little girl. I'm overjoyed to be a mother. I'm holding her and trying to bond with her. And I start to notice I still have some kind of pressure between my legs. So the nurse thinks maybe you're having twins. Um, so she looks down there and what she sees is a huge hematoma. And so she calls the doctor. Um, he comes back. I'm losing a lot of blood. It's looking pretty serious. Um, I get nervous and I ask him to give me something for my nerves. Now I had just had natural childbirth. I didn't even ask for a Tylenol. Um, so he gives me an Ativan or something and he takes me off 
to surgery and um, he has to repair a broken blood vein and some blood vessels and I lose a lot of blood and um, I'm out like, I have three blood transfusions. So um, before he took me off to surgery though, I had to think about death. I had to contemplate death. I had to think about what's gonna happen to my daughter. Um, obviously my husband and the grandparents would have to raise my daughter and uh, I wanted to raise my daughter. So I, I was motivated to live but I also wasn't afraid of death. Um, but I, uh, I just put it in the hands of God and I, I just went and had that surgery. Um, anyway, when I came to in the recovery room, there is still this white, beautiful light all around me. I don't remember anything in that recovery room looking like any kind of uh, medical place, like uh, the things you see in hospitals, the oxygen tanks and the, the emergency equipment. I don't, I don't see any of that. It just looks like a beautiful white room. And I open my eyes and there is this beautiful nurse looking down on me. And my heart is just full of love for this nurse. And I say to her, are you an angel? Because I think I'm dead. And she says, no, honey, I'm, I'm a nurse and you just had a baby. And then whoosh, all the memories of having that baby came back to me. And I thought, okay, I'm just a little confused here because of the anesthesia and coming out of surgery and all this happy feelings I'm having are because I'm, an, I'm a new mother. Um, so the nurse says to me, would you like me to take you to go see your baby? And of course I said, yes. So she um, takes me down on this rolling bed and I get to see my baby um, behind a window. Um, this whole time, incredible joy, incredible peace, incredible love. I'm feeling no pain. I'm not asking any questions about my condition. I'm thinking that this nurse is the most beautiful person in the world. Um, eventually I go to a room with my daughter and uh, I recover from the surgery and uh, just learn how to breastfeed and nurse my daughter. And I never see that nurse again. Um, and I'm still with all this white light and joy and peace. And of course, I'm thinking, well, this is how it is to be a new mother. It's the oxytocin. It's, it's the bonding. I'm a new mother. Of course, I'm feeling all this incredible peace and joy. And, uh, you know, later on, I learned this isn't how every birth experience is. I had another uh, biological daughter. It was a different experience. Still happy to have my daughter, still felt a great deal of joy and love, but uh, I wasn't flooded with white light. I wasn't feeling love for the nurses. I, I was experiencing a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, I've had a lot of other surgeries and procedures that uh, I didn't come out of the anesthesia feeling love and, and light. 
Um, so anyway, over the years, I've come to recognize that was a near-death experience. And I was not granted any memory of what happened during the time that I was out. However, I believe God had to talk with me. I believe he, he said, you can leave now. This can be your exit point. Or you can go back and you can be there for your daughter. But it's going to be hard. And you have to make that choice and you have to stick with it. And, uh, you know, I chose to come back. So I don't have any, I don't have a memory of that. And that's why I say that NDE is, is not that exciting. Is it possible? And I don't like to have to ask this question, but I think it's a valid question. Is it possible that any of this experience was a reaction to the Ativan? Um, I don't think so because, um, it, I've had Ativan other times. It does not create that feeling of love and joy that lingers for hours and days. So, um, no, I don't think so. Have you considered getting hypnotherapy to see if you can find those memories that are lost? I have not. I have not considered that. And I don't think I need that. This may be coincidental, but what I find interesting is that the entire day was this day filled with light and a beautiful day. And I think that somehow it's relative to your experience. I'm not sure how, but almost as if somehow this was, as you said, an exit point that was possibly pre-planned before your birth. It did feel like it could be an exit point in retrospect. I kept asking everybody else, isn't it a beautiful day? Don't you see this light? Isn't this weather delightful? And uh, nobody else seemed to notice. Um, nobody else seemed to notice what a beautiful day it was. How Nobody else seemed to notice the light in the room. Maybe possibly it was already known that there was going to be complications with your pregnancy. So God or the light was with you. That's a very good way to think of it. Yes. Yes. Now, um, shortly after my daughter was born, um, unfortunately, my marriage started going south. And I understand from listening to your podcasts um, that that happens in a lot of marriages after an NDE. Uh, and this, this NDE did change me because uh, my, I had a big personality change. Um, you have a big personality change when you become a mother anyway. But um, I became much uh, more giving, much less self-centered, much less selfish, um, much more loving, much more um, open. And unfortunately, I, I became impatient with my husband that he wasn't the same way, in my opinion. And uh, I don't know if you know who Howard Storm is. But, I know of him. I haven't had him as a guest. Well, he's, he's fantastic. He, he had an, a very incredible NDE. And when he came back from it, um, he lost his patience with his wife and children. He shares this. And um, I did that too. I, I, I became very disappointed 
with my husband. I, I didn't realize uh, how much my personality had changed. And um, anyway, uh, that was sort of like the beginning of the end in, in my relationship with, with him. And, and that was very sad. All right, so let's move forward to your next out-of-body experience. Okay, so moving forward to the second out-of-body experience um, I've had. At this point, I was a divorced single mother. I was 27, two children. I moved to a new town to start a career as a mental health counselor. Um, I didn't know anybody in the town. I was struggling as a single mother. I was also struggling with my job. It was a very um, serious, heavy duty job. It was the first time I was a full-time mental health counselor. And I had a lot of stress. Um, my ex-husband and I were not co-parenting well. And uh, I developed depression. Now you'd think being a mental health counselor, I would know exactly what to do to deal with my depression. And, and really I did know what to do. I probably should have seen a doctor. I probably should have been in therapy. Um, I probably should have been on an antidepressant. Um, but I had a reason why I didn't do those things. I didn't do that because I knew of people, some of them were my clients who um, were trying to get help for mental health issues. And then that was used against them in custody hearings. Um, I don't think this would happen today. Uh, we don't have the same kind of mental health stigma today that we did then. But I was afraid that if I was diagnosed with depression and on medication, that, that maybe somehow I could lose custody of my children. So I was trying to avoid that. The depression was getting worse and worse. And one day I just thought I can't go on like this. I can't keep working a full-time job. Um, being a mother, being alone uh, in a new town with no support system. Um, and I can't fall into a depression. I can't let that happen. I have to take care of my children. And so I was really, really very desperate and um, decided that this was something I should meditate over. So I did, uh, kids were asleep. I lay down in bed, I closed my eyes and um, I did end up falling asleep. Um, but then I woke up and started actively meditating. Um, but through meditating, I, I fell back asleep and then I had a dream. In this dream, I was flying. There was a guide to the right of me and there was a person, another, a companion to the left of me and I was flying and I'm going to close my eyes so that I can imagine that and, and describe that for you. I was flying over mountains and hills and valleys, streams, rivers, waterfalls, lakes, oceans. It all looked like perfection below me, like, 
like the rainforest, perfected, beautiful. And there were flowers and I was taken by the flowers, particularly the red flowers that were in the trees. And I would, I would focus on them and like a camera, like my eyes would sort of zoom in on these flowers in the trees. So as I'm flying, I'm feeling lighter and lighter and there's less depression. And I'm just starting to feel a healing as I am flying and looking at all of this beauty. Now my guide or my guardian angels to the right of me, still not looking at him, still can't see him. But it occurs to me, who is this guy? Who's this person, my companion that I'm flying with on the left? As soon as I have that thought, he turns his head and he looks at me. And I, I look at his face. I see his eyes, his hair. I, I just take in his face. And he looks very pleasing to me. And I think, I don't know this person. And, and he, he turns away. And we keep flying. We keep flying. And eventually the dream is over. And I'm back in my body. I am back in my body with a start. And realize I've been healed by depression. Uh, completely healed. Uh, in the days following that dream, I would I would self check. Uh, am I am I feeling hopeless? Am I feeling sad? Um, <laughs> I would I would check myself and no depression. And I and I had hope. I had hope that my situation was going to change. So that was that um, second out of body experience. The unique thing about that is that uh, several months later, I moved to a new town and I, I met a man who I uh, enjoyed dating. And we went out on one of our dates and he said to me, do you ever have flying dreams? And I looked at him and it just triggered that dream. And I said, I have had one flying dream and you were in it mm. and he received that he he took that and he said i have flying dreams all the time and i love them so right then and there i knew i would marry him and i assumed he would be my soulmate <laughs> and we did end up getting married and um we did have a marriage we were married for uh 16 years uh, and you know, it's not a fairy tale. It did end in divorce. Um, but a lot was accomplished in those 16 years, um, particularly, uh, with my children. And I adopted a third child with him and, um, you know, a lot was accomplished. Now, sadly, I couldn't believe that uh, we were going to get a divorce, though, because I thought it was my soulmate. Um, but, but something bigger than either one of us could handle came, came up and came into our lives. And uh, the best situation uh, for us was a divorce. And he did move on to uh, marry a woman who's warm and wonderful and perfectly suited to him. And um, I eventually remarried uh, the perfect man for me. So um, 
you know, happy endings, but some family chaos and some broken hearts. Uh, but, you know, 16 years together uh, and, and a lot of lessons learned. Now, are you saying this man is the same guy that was with you from your very first in OBE? He is not a guide. He's just an ordinary man. Um, this man was in my flying dream with me. So in my flying dream, I had the guide. And then I had this man and I was in the middle and mm. we were flying around. Sometimes I call it a dream. Sometimes I call it a meditation. I was out of my body. It was a meditating, sleepy kind of state. You did meet your guide though later, right? I met him last year. Can you tell us about him? Yes. So um, last year, I, um, I live in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I drove to Chicago, Illinois to be with my daughter while she was having a home birth. Uh, she gave birth to my third grandson. I was there to help with the children, um, just extra pair of adult hands uh, to, to make sure everything was um, easier in the home for my daughter. I spent a lot of time babysitting my grandchildren, um, picking them up, putting them down. So one night I'm asleep, I'm dreaming, I'm at my daughter's house, and I go into one of these vivid, vivid dreams um, I find myself sitting in a wooden boat. My daughter's in the wooden boat, and so is my brother. I don't know why they're in the wooden boat with me, and I don't know why I'm in the wooden boat, but sitting next to me is my guardian angel or my guide. I see him. He's there. I recognize him. He takes his hand and he hovers his hand over my abdomen, like he's doing Reiki or something. And I felt a healing in my abdomen. I knew it was a healing. I just knew it. And it, it was intense, but gentle and tingly and it vibrated. And, um, I got this healing and I, I looked at him and I thanked him for the healing. And, um, you know, then I woke up and when I woke up, I thought I got, I just got a healing from my guardian angel. I just got to see my guardian angel and I, I'm not even sick. Why, why is he healing me when I'm, there's nothing wrong with my stomach? Well, about two weeks later, after I came home from visiting my daughter, I was uh, diagnosed with a bladder infection. It was extremely painful. I mean, I could hardly walk. I could hardly stand up. And I also had a lot of soreness in my abdomen as if um, I had strained those muscles, probably picking up my grandchildren who were two and three years old at the time. Um, so I thought, why am I getting sick? Why do I have a bladder infection and a sore abdomen? I was healed from this. I was healed from this two weeks ago. Um, so I went to the doctor. I, I got some medication. Um, the medication healed me. I rested. And I just think the healing 
happened on a different timeline. The healing came before I actually experienced the symptoms, but it, it was my guide or my guardian angel who did like a Reiki procedure. What did he look like? He was tall, fair skinned, very muscular, and he was wearing everyday sort of casual modern clothes and he had a shaved head and he was very attractive, very attractive. As being a mental health and drug and alcohol counselor, you counsel people with who have NDEs or OBEs, right? I haven't in the past. So um, I've spent most of my time as a licensed mental health counselor and certified drug and alcohol counselor in Illinois. I worked for agencies and clinics um, that were very uh, solution focused. Uh, one person, one client did disclose to me she had an NDE. We did talk about it. I validated her experience for her, but only that one person. So um, now that I live here in Little Rock, Arkansas, I have a brand new private practice here. I would like to um, work with people who um, want to process their spiritually transformative experiences, their near-death experiences, their OBEs, um, and, and the trauma that leads up to those experiences. There is usually emotional or physical trauma that seems to uh, bring these experiences upon people. Sometimes the NDE or the um, OBE, whatever spiritually transformative experience the person has, heals them. But sometimes they're still dealing uh, with the trauma. So um, I would like uh, to develop a niche uh, helping people who would feel comfortable sharing those experiences with me as their counselor. But no, um, while I was in Illinois, that was not really a focus. Why do you think people have trouble processing them? Because they're not believed, um, because people get bored listening to these stories. Um, it's hard to share these stories when, when you're getting the sense that other people feel um, like you might be crazy. Also, these stories and experiences go against a lot of what faith traditions uh, teach us. Sometimes these seem kind of new agey um, I know here in Arkansas, um, we're part of the Bible Belt. Um, people don't want to have conversations about things that smack of New Age if they're if they're Christian. Um, I think that's changing, though. I mean, I, I think people people love your show, so people are starting to want to talk about these things and are starting to feel more comfortable and more welcome to talk about these things. What do you think you can do to help them? I'm in the unique position of, hey, I've been through that. I know what it's like. Um, I'm not going to judge you. Um, I can listen to your experience and I can validate your experience. And whatever traumatic event that... Um, led up to that experience, I have training in, in helping you deal with trauma. Um, there are many people who say that after their NDEs, um, 
they're having relationship problems. I can, I can help you with that. We can do some couples counseling. Um, maybe you're feeling depressed because um, life after a wonderful NDE um, is still hard. You're still facing a lot of challenges and, and you don't really know how to integrate and process this experience. So um, I'm a mental health counselor here in Little Rock, Arkansas that would just you know love to work with some other Arkansans, Arkansans on any issues pertaining to mental health or spirituality without judgment, with, without, um, without them fearing that, that I'm gonna be calling up uh, you know, a hospital and having them admitted <laughs> because they've had a spiritual experience. Do you think you can do this over Zoom as well or it needs to be done in person? I prefer having in-person sessions in my office here in Little Rock, but I also do uh, telehealth sessions and they're confidential and they're private. Um, so yes, this work can be done online, but um, I love using in-person sessions because uh, the body language, uh, the chemistry, the the eye contact, the, the lack of technical problems uh, right. really make for a better uh, session. But I do online sessions, yes. Out of all the problems that could occur from NDEs and OBEs, what do you think is the most common problem? Well, from what I've learned, um, relationship problems are, are very common. And then that a feeling of loneliness too, because um, when you've had an experience like that and you want to share it with your friends and family, uh, they have a hard time listening. They have a hard time connecting and relating, and and you end up feeling you know very alone. Um, and sometimes the trauma that triggered it lingers, or. In some cases, it, there's no trauma. In some cases, there's some depression or anxiety, but sometimes it's lingering. So do you think more of the problem is the cause of the NDE or the actual experience itself? I think it's more the cause. Um, but I am really concerned about people who are married and end up getting divorced after an NDE. Um, I, think, I think couples need to come up with a game plan about um, how to handle that NDE uh, after it happens. Interesting that you bring that up. I don't know if you saw the podcast that I did with PMH Atwater, but I believe she said that 70% of the couples who have NDEs end up in divorce. Yes, I watched that podcast. And... Um, I think she said, I think it was PM Atwater who said that, um, that she, and no, no, it was Betty Eady. Betty Eady was determined to keep her marriage together after her NDE and they had to work real hard at it. She was aware that if they didn't take extra steps uh, to to um, integrate that experience into their marriage, uh, that it could possibly break them up. Do you think the problem with the marriage is because 
after the NDE, the person is just too different? Or is it because the spouse doesn't believe them? I think it's because the person changes. And I think sometimes it's, it's the experiencer is expecting the spouse to change right along with them. You know, look here, I explained to you how much love God has. Um, I explained to you that God is in control and God is in charge and God, you know, why can't you change? You know, they're not on the same level. They're, they need to take time. They need to do things their way. So do you think then that the experiencer has unrealistic expectations of their spouse? I think that happened to me. And I, I think Howard Storm went through that. And I, I think I've heard other people say that after, um, after their NDE, that they just, uh, for one thing, they're so filled with love and want to help so many people. Um, that they're paying maybe less attention to their spouse. They've got a lot. They've got a lot of love going out all over the place, and um, their spouse isn't used to that. It's interesting to hear that because I felt like a lot of times. Well, maybe this is with single people, but I felt like once you experience that overwhelming amount of love, that you have an unrealistic expectation of having that amount of love come from your spouse. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, that, that didn't happen to me, but, um, yeah. If you have any tips for people out there listening that have had an OBE or NDE and are struggling with the relationship, can you share them with us? Well, I would suggest, um, marriage counseling or couples counseling, um, with an open-minded therapist. And I would suggest working on a game plan. If we want to stay together, how are we going to do this? What sacrifices and compromises do we have to make to make this work? After watching this podcast, if someone wants to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you up for that? And if so, how do they reach you? I would love to hear from some of your viewers. Um, Comments and questions are definitely welcome. Um, I have a Facebook page. It's Leslie Salmon Counseling Services. Um, I also have an email, leslie at salmoncounseling.com. And my last name, Salmon, is spelled like the fish, S-A-L-M-O-N. So um, yeah, reach out through email or through my Facebook page. And I'm particularly interested in hearing from our Kansans because I am a licensed mental health counselor here in Arkansas. And I would love to um, help some people who want to process their spiritually transformative experiences with um, somebody who can be very understanding about that and somebody who can um, also help them with, with trauma grief, loss, uh, depression, anxiety, divorce recovery. Um, I would love to hear from um, Arkansans. And the reason I'm giving a shout out to Arkansans is because I'm licensed here to do that. So I can certainly uh, respond to comments and questions from people from anywhere, but I can only be a counselor, a licensed professional counselor for Arkansans. All right, Leslie, well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? 
I would be remiss if I didn't if I didn't remind everybody of the great love God has for us and the the great love we need to have for each other. But what I really want to share is is the message that I got from the light in my first OBE, which is remember the center of things, remember what controls things, and understand that you co-create with God. He's in control, but you co-create your reality with him. Leslie, thank you for that message, and thank you again for being my guest. Thank you, Jeff, and I'm sorry about all the technical difficulties. That's okay. For me, it's just another day in the office. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.